late August 1963, near the town of Sagrada Família, Brazil, three boys went into the garden and started to draw water from the well. Suddenly, they became aware of a hovering sphere above the trees. They could see four or five rows of people inside the sphere. An opening under the sphere became visible, and two light rays shot downward. A slender, ten-foot-tall being came down as if gliding on the two beams of light. He alighted in the garden and walked for twenty feet or so in an odd fashion. His back seemed stiff. His legs were open and his arms outstretched. He swung his body from left to right as if trying to find his balance and then sat down on a rock. The three boys observed that the giant wore a transparent helmet and had in the middle of his forehead what they described as a dark eye. He wore tall boots, each of which was equipped with a strange triangular spike, which made a peculiar impression in the soft ground and could be seen for several days afterward. His garment was shiny and had inflated as soon as the entity had touched the ground. The trousers seemed to be fastened tightly to the boots. He had a peculiar square pack on his chest, which emitted flashes of light in an intermittent manner. Inside the sphere, still hanging motionless above the garden, the three boys could see occupants behind control panels, turning knobs and flicking switches. When the giant in the garden made a motion as if to grab one of the boys, Fernando picked up a stone, only to find himself unable to do anything with it as the spaceman looked straight into his eyes. The giant then returned to the sphere, still using the light beams as an elevator, but holding his arms close to his body this time. The boys were no longer afraid, although they could not account for their new feelings. As the sphere left, they were sure the giant spaceman had not come to hurt them. And somehow, in the same irrational fashion, they knew he would come back again. Hey, all you friends and aliens, welcome back to your favorite podcast, That Would Be Rad, a podcast that majors in 80s and 90s nostalgia, comic culture, all things paranormal, and minors in retro video games, tabletop RPGs, pre-internet mysteries, and raising our kids to be half as cool as we were back in the 80s. I'm your host, Tyler Bentz, and this is your other host, Woody Brown. Man, I'm psyched to be back in UFO and alien territory. Yeah, no, man, with... Uh, what the audience doesn't know is I've been kind of begging to get back mm-hmm. in. And not that you don't want to do it. I mean, oh, I love it. you obviously want to talk about UFOs too, but we've had a lot of other stuff that we wanted to cover. But I just feel like with all this like recent, I'll say attention mm-hmm. <laughs> and increased mm-hmm. sort of like U.S. government acknowledgement that at the very least there have been confirmed sightings of UFOs mm-hmm. by our military. Mm-hmm air traffic control, commercial pilots, you know, whatever. Now, I got to say, of course, just because something is an unidentified flying object doesn't necessarily mean that it's extraterrestrial or, you know, anything like that. It just means like, hey, there's something flying here. We don't know where it's from, you know, who's controlling it. When I say who, obviously, again, I don't just mean aliens. I mean, potentially other governments. Oh, yeah. You know, whatever. But dude, I got to be honest with you, man. 
I'm not sure what's more terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. option one, uh, this is human technology mm-hmm. and it's not ours. Yeah, exactly. Right? And they can do all these like crazy physics-defying flight patterns mm-hmm. and, and all this kind of stuff. Or option two, it's alien technology, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure what's what's worse, you yeah. know? Which, which by so, the way, uh, if yeah. we're being politically correct, which I feel like there's a motive behind this, but uh, it, they're no longer called UFOs. They're now called UAP, Unidentified mm-hmm. Aerial Phenomena. And Oh yeah, well maybe that's to like sort of divide and categorize because now there's also unidentified aquatic phenomenon that's happening. Oh, too. I thought that was like just there was. Uh, I thought that was uh, what is it? Underwater submerged USO? Maybe there's all kinds of like yeah, you know, whatever. The thing is, you know, in in the story that are that y'all just heard, mm-hmm. you y'all. know. Y'all, I said y'all. Yeah, no, this no, no. First I, time. I, this is a first episode ever where we like really got southern. I, I was going to say, I'm the one who typically sounds like a redneck. And now <laughs> you just said y'all, which I just I like. feel it's one of those things where I just feel like you all sound oh, yeah. so stupid. Yeah, me too. Right? I apologize to anybody that uses that, <laughs> but y'all is what you're supposed to say. Okay. So here's something that I like, I'd always heard, and no matter how sort of deep into UFO stuff someone is you're going to hear quite often that in south america is like a dang hot spot it really is right and specifically this area this uh, sagrada familia in brazil it is basically it is included in this area called rio grande uh do sol i think is how mm. you pronounce it again it's portuguese mm-hmm. yeah you know i don't speak portuguese um shout and- out to rafael grandpa who's not going to like all these <laughs> mispronunciations. <laughs> yeah. My apologies. But this area in particular has so many events that I think are pretty substantial mm-hmm. that now having started this sort of around the world UFO abductions mm-hmm. stuff, man, we're going to have to come back and visit a lot more because there's just crazy stuff that I found that I don't even want to get into because we got to save it for another time. I mean, dude, hold on. I just I just had an idea, and this is not like a, a pre-planned thing. But what if we do like a like the summer of abductions, and like once a month we have an episode where we travel around the world mm-hmm. and talk about abductions. I love it. Okay, let's do it. Done. Hopefully Done. this hopefully this idea mm-hmm. lives on <laughs> a lot better than our fantasy face-off idea. Yeah. Uh, which just basically, you know, we just let just kind of nosedive into oblivion. But anyhow, okay, let's talk about these kids. So there's a couple things in this story that just completely fascinated me. Mm-hmm. First off, and I hate to do it because I often compare anything to this guy, but there is something very reminiscent of Sam the Sandown ghost clown in this one to me. It's exactly, well, actually... I- I think there's several sort of Sam uh, situations on mm-hmm. on a few of these stories, right? Which and I mean, kind of crazy. Whenever I'm thinking about it, it's like these kids describing this this well, just you know, alien, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, or being coming down. Well, first, let's talk about the fact that this craft has like four or five rows of people in it, mm-hmm. 
And then the door opens. I thought it was really cool that the beam of light is some sort of like transportation mechanism, which is really neat to me. Yeah, and like, then, the, like the two beams and he just yeah. sort of like glided down. Yeah, exactly. It's really cool. And then the creature itself has this like weird sort of like stiff back walk, like, you know, that's mm-hmm. what reminded me of Sam the Sandown yep. Ghost Clown. Yep. And like how it was and like it, trying it, to get its balance and then it just like sits down. Well, and it was like waving its like arms. Yeah. Right to left as it was like walking. Yeah. I didn't like, totally remind, understand that, but. Yeah, it kind of reminded, like I pictured in my head like Sam the Sandown, Sam the Sandown Ghost Clown, of course, but also like. Uh, like baby Bambi, you know, like a baby deer that's just like, whoa, gosh, I've got yeah. these legs. I don't know how to use them yet. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what it reminded me of. And then, you know, I thought it was so cool because they described this like suit that it's wearing, these like crazy boots that make like distinct impressions into the mud that they could like see for days after that. Yeah. And um, which, which before we move on from that, like, so what does that mean? Does that mean it didn't have actual feet. It was just sort of like spikes. Or does that mean it had like it had some sort of high like, heels? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess apparently what these guys are saying is this thing was just fashion forward, man. Very fashion. I mean, high heels is a way is. I didn't even. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious! I didn't even think of that. Uh, yeah. So this alien wears high heels. Cool. He's like, maybe that's what made him like look ten feet tall. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, actually, yeah. That's- and then like this, the, the way they described the helmet too was like the, almost like a dark eye in the forehead. Yeah, well, well, it said something about like a transparent helmet, but then right. like a black eye in the center. Mm-hmm. So does that mean like it, it has regular sort of more sort of humanoid type Yeah, I don't eyes? know. That's one thing that was kind know. of missing from the description that I really wanted was like too. what was underneath. If it's transparent, then like what's under there? You know? Yeah, I, I didn't understand that. Um, and then, may, like maybe it was like more of like a light kind of yeah. I mean, because if you there go did back to, to 1963 and you have like a you know just a regular camping headlamp on your head, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying that I'm that this could be time travelers, but you know, whatever. <laughs> um, but here's another thing: when it talks about the square pack on its chest, it's Darth like Vader. light. Come on, man. You stole it from yes, me. Yes. I knew it. I knew it. I, I was going to say, holy crap, man, this is Darth Vader. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, dude, just keeping with the Darth Vader theme, the kid picks up a rock, he's going to throw it, and then mm-hmm. this thing uses the force on him. He can't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then I did like, you know, one thing about, and again, going into the summer of abductions and things mm-hmm. like that. Well, I, the thing that I always kind of get sort of freaked out about when kind of thinking about aliens is the fact that like you know you don't really i'm not a big fan of like not having control over Mm -hmm. things right it's Mm -hmm. like if i'm in a scenario it's like okay well i'll just fight my way out but when you got these aliens that can freeze you with a beam of light or like you know there's nothing that you can do you're just powerless you know Mm -hmm. i mean it, it reminds me like fire in the sky and all these kind of things so i like the way Toward the end of this, that these kids had this fe- this overwhelming feeling that look, these things are not here to harm us. Well, but they said they couldn't understand why they felt like that. Hmm. Yeah, it said yeah. it said they it was like suddenly sure. yeah, we sure. weren't fearful, but we couldn't understand why. Basically, and we knew that they would be back, and we yeah, knew that they there. would come back. Which to me, that felt like a which I don't even think it was in the Sam the Sandown Clown, but like mm-hmm. something about that even sort of felt. You know, which mm-hmm. d- did it ever really sort of describe how they 
they it disappeared, how it sort of stopped. What do you like, mean? Like, you know what I mean? Like, maybe I missed it, but... Uh, what, what do you mean, like the craft or what? Yeah, like they, they saw the craft, they saw the dude sort of, or the, you know, the entity sort of glide down. Mm-hmm. But did it go really into like why or like what how it left? Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of used the light beams as an elevator uh, mm-hmm. and went back up. And then, no, it doesn't, it didn't really say. Mm. Super fascinating. Yeah. But. Yeah, absolutely fascinating. One thing that, uh, did you happen to, whenever you first read about the chest pack, did you try to like go back and like be like, okay, now this is the Darth Vader helmet. This is. I don't know what you mean by I that. I tried question. to like, <laughs> like, like once you saw, once you read about like the, the little chest pack with like all the lights, did you, did you then be like, okay, that sounds like Darth Vader? And then go back in the story and sort of try piecing together like, well, this helmet could look like Darth Vader's helmet. Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> uh, no, not quite. Yeah, that's a weird one. I like that one a lot. So everybody put a pin mm-hmm. in the map near Rio Grande do Sol because mm-hmm. we are going to come back to this area on another episode. Onward! This incident took place on May 20th, 1950, in France at about 4 p.m. near the Loire River. An official investigation by French local police has substantiated the physical traces mentioned in this report, which can be translated thus. I was hurrying back home to prepare dinner. I was happy and content, and I was singing some popular tune. Everything was calm and still, without any breeze or wind. I was alone on the path. Suddenly, I found myself within a brilliant, blinding light, and I saw two huge black hands appear in front of me. Each one had five fingers of a black color with a yellowish tint, somewhat like copper. The fingers were roughly formed, slightly vibrating or quivering. These hands did not come from behind me, but from above. As if... They had been hanging over my head, awaiting the proper time to catch me. The black hands did not immediately apply themselves to my head. I probably took two or three steps before they touched me. The hands had no visible arms. The two black hands were applied to my face with violence and squeezed my head as a bird of prey rushes on its unfortunate, helpless victim. They pulled my head back against a very hard chest, one that seemed to be made of iron. I felt the cold through my hair and behind my neck, but no contact with clothes. The hands were squeezing my head like a formidable vice, not abruptly, but gradually. They were very cold, and their touch made me think that they were not made of flesh. The big fingers were placed on my eyes, and I could not see anymore, on my nose so that I could not breathe and also on my mouth to prevent me from crying out. When I was surrounded by the strong, blinding light, I had the feeling I had been paralyzed. And when the hands touched me, I had the very distinct impression of a strong electric discharge, as if I had been shaken by a lightning bolt. My whole body was annihilated, helpless, without reflexes. I was like a broken toy between the inhuman hands of my unknown aggressor. 
For a little over a minute, I felt his hands tightening very strongly on either side of my throat. It was horribly painful. Then he began to swing me forward and backward several times, still fiercely squeezing my head against his chest. I had the distinct impression that this being wore armor or a steel carapace or some very hard and cold material. I felt his two invisible arms pressing heavily on my shoulders. It was at that moment that I heard his laugh. A strange laugh I could not explain. It was as if I heard him through some water, and yet it seemed quite close above my head. At first, it sounded rough and hushed, then rather strong and rolling. It made me shudder and hurt me. After a few seconds, the laugh stopped, suddenly cut off. Then, a knee hit me in the back, hurting me very much, as if it were made of steel. That made me think my aggressor was completely covered with this steel. This blow made me fall back, and the unknown aggressor made me lie down, still squeezing my head against his chest. Then, he dragged me along the path by my head, and he seemed in a great hurry. I did not hear him breathe. He pulled me into a bush full of brambles and nettles, still going backward at an incredible speed, holding my head. At that moment, I heard his voice above me, and it said, There she is, with water. As if he were talking to someone else, some accomplice who had stayed inside the bush. This voice, like the laugh, seemed close by, although hushed by some obstacle. I was choking and I felt I was going to die. I thought of my family waiting for me at home and my whole life passed before me in a few seconds. My aggressor pulled me through the bushes until we reached a small pasture and suddenly he stopped. Why? His hands had gradually slipped down my face and I tried to call for help, but I had no voice left but a tiny, shrill cry. After a while, I was able to sit among the brambles I had a very hard time breathing. My bag was still in my hand with the money it contained. At last, I was able to get up in spite of my weakness, and then I heard some noise to my left inside the bushes. I thought I was going to see my aggressors and recognize their faces, but I saw nothing. I saw and heard the brambles scratching the empty space and the grass being pressed as if under the steps of some invisible being. I was terrified. Softly, I took to the path again, walking with difficulty. My legs were lacerated by the brambles and bleeding. I felt a strange sensation of nervous exhaustion, indefinable as if I had been electrified by a strong current. In my mouth was a sickening, metallic, bitter taste. My muscles did not obey me. Over my shoulders, I felt something like a bar, and in my back, a painful heat as if I had been exposed to flames or to a burning ray. I must have walked like that for five or six minutes. At the end of the path, there was a turn, and from here, I could see houses. And then the pains decreased a little bit. Everything had lasted a quarter of an hour, 20 minutes, and it seemed that I had lived in an unreal world. Abruptly, I heard a great noise, like a violent wind during a storm a sudden displacement of warm air or a violent whirlwind. I saw the trees bending as if under a sudden storm 
and I was nearly thrown down. Almost simultaneously, there was a strong, blinding white light. I had the feeling something flew through the air very fast, but I saw nothing. Soon everything became calm again. I reached the house of the lockkeeper, and when I opened the door, they came toward me and asked what had happened, because they too had seen a light from their house. When I was able to speak at last, they told me all the fingers were still deeply marked in the flesh of my face, making large red bars. The police came and interviewed me at length. They examined me and observed the marks of large fingers on my face. They concluded there had been an abduction attempt and told me that it was very strange, mysterious even. They took me to the spot to continue their investigation there. They noted that at some places, the brambles were black and scorched. At some other places, they were only pressed and flattened. The fences in the pasture, which were made of wooden posts and barbed wire, had suffered also. Some posts were burned, others pulled out. The barbed wire had been wrenched away and broken. All right, man, so what would you think about that one? Okay, so I got a lot of thoughts on this one, and I, I, well, I'm really confused by this one, but I'm equally kind of thinking or, or sort of drawing parallels to like some sort of phenomenon that I know about. But I think this one may be my favorite one. Yeah. Also, uh, the probably the most terrifying. Yeah, man. Like, okay, like young ladies don't have enough to worry about mm-hmm. uh, on a walk home than just freaking these dark hands appearing out of yeah. you know from above grabbing her head and like squeezing i mean so many of the descriptors in this story it's just terrifying man mm-hmm. yeah well, yeah the fingers were like covering her eyes covering her ears and then covering her mouth yeah it's like it was almost like in my head the first image that i thought of reading about how the hands were like covering her face and stuff for mm-hmm. some reason and i don't even know if this is visually accurate mm-hmm. but it i immediately thought of you know that scene in ghostbusters when dana's like sitting down on the chair and like the monster's hands are like kind of coming all over her. oh that the mon- <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Different movie. Um, when the monster's hands are like just kind of grabbing her from all directions, you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. And they like yeah. covers her mouth. That's oh, what yeah. I thought of, you know, just mm-hmm. like this. I mean, how terrifying would that be? And even just like the fact that they're like black and copper, yellowish. Yeah, I, I didn't really understand that because it says it's black, which is a very sort of absolute definition in color. And then it's like, black and and yellowish it's like i don't really was it like a light kind of thing maybe i part part of me thinks that a lot of this is well could be if if we're leaning into sort of your your classic kind of et abductions um mm-hmm. i mean it kind of sounds like it could be part of like sort of a screen memory thing mm. maybe i mean maybe which by the way for for folks that aren't into this screen memories are when you know, typically you'll you'll hear a story or an account of an abduction where you know a lot of people would say, "Oh, well, no, I wasn't abducted. I wasn't abducted, but you know, there was three hours of missing time, and I remember seeing this you know huge owl in the woods, and it and it walked out of a clearing, 
and it just stared at me. Or like Whitley Strieber talks a lot about like like deer and like mm-hmm. owls. Mike Cleland is uh, kind of the owl guy as far as that con- is concerned. But it, it's sort of like this sort of implanted memory to kind of cover up. Like what know, really them, happened? Yeah, them seeing like, you know, typically it's tied in with alien greys too. And a lot of times I think, which I think originally the way that this sort of term was kind of coined is because they wouldn't really see the aliens or the entities or the greys or whatever until they were hypnotically regressed. Mm. So it was kind of like the regression kind of like, you know, pulled that disguise off of the the screen memories. Man. Which is pretty pretty scary, really. Yeah. Really pretty scary. sinister. I mean, oh, the fact, one th- oh, okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you had pal. I was gonna say one you know, you the the one thing that just made it even scarier was the fact that like, you know, these hands didn't seem to have any visible arms. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So he, here's the first thing that I thought of, and I'm probably going way too deep into the rabbit trail in this, but there is a book by a guy named Robert Guffey called Camellio. And I mean, this is like a pretty deep cut. Like even if you're pretty well versed into uh, sort of paranormal and that kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, it's it's a pretty deep cut kind of thing. But he, he wrote this book. He was friends with this guy who was a heroin addict um, named Dion who kind of had this sort of like kind of like a drug house kind of thing, you know, like a drug den, if you will. Mm-hmm. And uh, one night, and this guy that was like a Marine at Camp Pendleton was over there, and he like pulled out of his bag. He had stolen from the Army base uh, like uh, infrared goggles, like military-grade, nice. you know, goggles. This is going much too <laughs> this is way no, too... No, no, that's cool, man. I got it. I'm, I'm writing the notes down. Deion Sanders and then waiting for <laughs> Guffman. <laughs> God, man, I haven't seen that movie in a long time. But anyway, long story short, uh, this drug addict dude kind of gets caught up into, I think it was like the FBI or the CIA. I I can't remember, but they kind of start contacting him. And because they think that he's stolen this, you know, equipment. Well, he kind of, you know, falls even deeper into this kind of thing where, you know, these agents would would be uh, like waiting outside of his house and they were really kind of playing into like the paranoia that like a typical sort of drug addict would have. And so he kept going further and further and further and ended up finding out that like he started seeing these sort of like at first what he thought were like, like, you know, typical like poltergeist Mm -hmm. sort of, uh, you know, activity, if you will. And uh, he come to find out that he started seeing these where it almost looked like it was like invisible suits. Mm. It's called like, I think it was called Project Camellio, which they called uh, electro-optical camouflage. Mm. He started to figure all this stuff out because like sometimes it would like glitch out, you know, like if if the light was on in a certain way, it would like refract or mm-hmm. Kind of like, like how that. sometimes you can see the predator. Yeah, that, well, that's funny you said that because that's exactly what it's tied into which is in this story, it's a very military-based government type of thing. But mm-hmm. that same, on the flip side of that, there's also this this sort of paranormal entity, which is called the Glimmer Man, mm-hmm. not to be confused with the incredible Steven Seagal, Seagal movie called The Glimmer Man. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh. but a lot, you know, like you said, a lot of people. I think it really kind of got popular in the last ten or fifteen years. But exactly like you're talking about that like predator technology and you know they just kind of see i mean you know what it looks like mm-hmm. but i really thought you know coming saying all that coming all the way back around 
Um, I tried to like sort of tie that in with with this, and so maybe maybe like the the hands were sort of like glitching out, or but again, this is 1950 in France, so I know, man. That's the part that's like a little. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. But one thing that I thought was was interesting is like she said that it felt like it was made of steel or it was wearing mm-hmm. armor, but it was uh, invisible. And classic Sam the Sandown Clown it had this weird laugh that just like mm-hmm. shut mm-hmm. off abruptly. Ugh. I so mean, scary, dude. Crazy. And then like she described multiple times just basically feeling paralyzed and like yeah. an electric current running through her and like even the hands the, at the very beginning of the story when she talks about how like the fingers were kind of like moving and vibrating mm-hmm. a little bit and stuff and it's just like, oh gosh. And you know, there's aspects of it that uh, like on the surface, if I was just like reading this story and in both cases, just equally terrifying, mm-hmm. but there's an aspect of it that it's like, okay, was this just some kind of like, you know, weirdo that was trying to abduct her, like a human weirdo yeah, <laughs> uh, that was wearing like long black gloves and maybe they were just like maybe. nervous and like shaking whenever they were trying to hurt her. But it's just like, then there's just like dragging her yeah. by the head through like bushes and stuff yeah. and like and she said for like 20 minutes or 15 minutes or something it felt like yeah man and then the weird like you know the weird like we've got her and like laughing yeah like, dude Ugh. oh and i'd be remiss to say that the weird laugh she said she sort of described as it sounded like it was underwater mm-hmm. which is a an interesting yeah. kind of sam the sandown clown kind of tie yeah. as well i mean just that weird sort of like almost like it well to me too it made it seem like Maybe since there's like armor or some sort of like suit involved, mm-hmm. maybe it's talking through a helmet. That's what I kind of thought of whenever I thought yeah. of whenever I read that part mm-hmm. about how it kind of sounded like it was right there, but also distant. She did say it, it felt like it was like wearing armor. So, you know, maybe it did have some sort of kind of like a helmet on or something. Yeah. Um, one thing that it reminded me of also, um, now that you say that, is, you know, if we're thinking of like 1950. It's one of you and I both are one of our favorite stories where it's called the Solway Firth Spaceman. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, it's like a famous photo taken, and uh, in the background, you see what, what appears to be kind of like a, you know, I mean, it looks like a 50s sci fi, like spaceman, basically. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in that era, it kind of, I don't know, visually, it kind of tied in with that a little bit. Um, yeah. Yeah, but th- there was some. There is something that seems very kind of like, um, and again, this is the sort of whole Camellio thing. You know, when I saw that that they said, "There she is, we got her." Uh, to me, that sort of felt like some sort of like invisible tech, mm. you know. And then they then they went back, and there was like, you know, the barbed wire was broken. There were like. You mm. could see where she was dragged or like, you know, footprints or, or whatever through the area. Well, even how her like encounter ended was fascinating to me. So it's like all of a sudden it stopped and she even says like, why? And they just mm-hmm. like, it just like retreats into this bush. There's a bunch of like commotion. And then all of a sudden there's this bright flash and almost like, I mean, I just imagine it's like a, like a lightning strike in mm-hmm. the area, which is what you're talking about where there's this like bob wire that's, Mm-hmm. I just said Bob, Bob wire, <laughs> like a freaking new, new character we just came up with. Um, this barbed wire that's just like, you know, messed up and like bushes and trees bent over and all this kind of stuff. So, Which, you know, like well, I well. always do. I mean, I'm like, man, is this late? Was this lady? Because she remains like nameless. In fact, 
they don't they blank out in the story in the in the book where I got it they they kind of almost censor the the town and the road and all this kind of stuff. Mm. So was this lady someone important in history? Oh, was this yeah. a time traveler coming That's, to get her to yeah. abduct her so that she wouldn't do something good for the world or something bad mm-hmm. to the world. Yeah, that's that's definitely something. Another thing which, you know, if you're on the one hand, you could tie it into like, you could even tie it into like fairies and like the sort of dark side of that where, mm-hmm. you know, not that any of the characteristics as far as like the armor because, you know, fairies hate metal or, and or any of that. But it's like, you know, it did say that they kind of like when it disappeared, there was a huge sort of whirlwind, like a storm kind of thing, mm-hmm. and then this huge bright light, and then it was calm. So you could, in, you know, they say in fairy folklore, they say that like the fairies like sort of come or they arrive on the storms or, or they ride on the wind, which is pretty crazy. Or wow. if you're looking into more, you know, sort of real world application, maybe all this happened and then maybe they hopped in their helicopter you know, or like some kind of craft even, you know, if you're okay to go a little further into like UFOs or time travelers, you know, huge storm, whirlwind that happened real fast, wind, storm, huge bright light, which, you know, as it's lifting off and then it's completely calm. Man. So, which to me, that's kind of what I, I don't know. To me, the whole like storm and then bright light and then all of a sudden it was gone. Mm-hmm. Um, this one was interesting to me whenever I read it on the page basically because of how seemingly unique it is, right? Mm -hmm. She doesn't describe what we're typically seeing or learning or hearing about, you know, like you said earlier, like the alien gray or like Mm -hmm. three fingers or a skinny creature or anything like that. It's just this like weird sort of phenomenon, you know, these weird hands and she never sees a body and like she, you know, feels it because, you know, she says that it's hard like armor or whatever. But to me, that kind of struck me as super interesting. And it's funny that you said, you know, maybe it was some sort of like fairy type situation or, or something like that. Because where I did get these stories from was our favorite book, yes. Passport to Magonia yes. by Jacques Vallée. I didn't know that that's where these were from. Yep, yep. And um, it's interesting because like he does in most chapters, he sort of like brings it all in and around and he's presenting different accounts not Mm -hmm. only with ufos but also with fairies and and um quote-unquote heavenly beings and stuff celestials Um, yeah celestials and Mm -hmm. i mean there's just so many Um, which which, by the way i would say i mean there's there's been others but i would say jacques play is i I would say he's definitely the guy who sort of brought that sort of into the public the idea that like you know maybe maybe these fairy things are or maybe these ufo sort of events or uh you know you see a spaceman or like crafts or or whatever maybe this is the exact same thing we're just seeing it through a different cultural lens mm-hmm. or or maybe it's uh sort of camouflaged if you will or which what i sort of lean into maybe it's using some sort of component in our minds it's kind of it's it's basically using us as like the component to see it as however we're seeing it. So like whatever our perception, whatever we think maybe like an otherworldly being should mm-hmm. look like, maybe that sort of fills in the gaps and that's what we see. Which is Man. it gets it's really bizarre and it's pretty meta, but like 
Well, I kind of want to get a little bit more into what we think about it all mm-hmm. a- after we hear this next story. So You know what I'm saying? So that we yeah, can yeah, kind of yeah. tie it let's all it. in. Mm-hmm. So for this one, let's head back to uh, South America. Onward. October 12th, 1963. It was raining hard between Monte Maez and Isla Verde in Argentina. As Eugenio Douglas drove his truck loaded with coal along the road, dawn was coming. Suddenly, Douglas saw a bright spot on the road ahead. Like the headlights of an approaching vehicle, except that it was a single, blinding light. To avoid collision, Douglas slowed down. The light became so intense, he had to lower his head and move to the side. He stopped the truck and got out. The light had disappeared. Through the pouring rain, Eugenio Douglas could now see a circular metallic craft about 35 feet high. An opening became visible, making a less intense second area of light. And three figures appeared. They looked like men, but they were wearing strange headdresses with things like antennae attached to the headpieces. They were over 12 feet tall. There was nothing repulsive about the entities, said Douglas, but he was terribly scared. As soon as he was seen by the figures, a ray of red light flashed to the spot where he stood and burned him. Grabbing a revolver, he fired at the three entities and ran off toward Monte Maez. But the burning red light followed him as far as the village, where it interfered with the streetlights, turning them violet and green. Douglas could smell a pungent gas. Douglas ran to the first house and shouted for help. Ribus, the owner, had died the previous night, but his family, gathered around the body, reported that at the same time they heard Douglas's call, the candles in the room and the electric lights in the house turned green and the same strange smell was noticed. They rushed to open the door. There was Douglas in the pouring rain, his overcoat over his head and a gun in his hand. The street lights had changed color. It must have been one of the most fantastic scenes. Eugenio Douglas was taken to the police station where the burns on his face and hands were clearly seen. The police, it turned out, had received a number of calls about the light's color change, but they had attributed the change to irregularities in the local power plant, which, however, would hardly account for the change in the candlelights if that particular observation was not an illusion. Douglas was examined by a doctor who stated that the burns had been caused by radiation similar to ultraviolet. According to Douglas, he had felt a burn when exposed to a red beam. When villagers went to the site where the truck was still parked, they found large footprints, nearly 20 inches long, but they were shortly afterward washed away by the rain. Man, this is a weird one, but I love After these messages, we'll be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? 
That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. America's future can be determined by our dreams and our visions. It was very intense For over 200 years, there have been reports of giant man-like creatures. From another dimension, another world, I don't know. The most intriguing mystery on the North American continent. You're listening to That Would Be Rad. Well, before I was rudely interrupted by that miniature cowboy, <laughs> uh, I was going to say that I love that story, and as much as I'm intrigued, I'm also kind of confused. Yeah, I mean... Like, what's happening here? Well, first, I thought it was kind of interesting, too, that this guy from Argentina, his last name is Douglas? <laughs> yeah. I, just, I, I never pictured that as a popular sort right. of Argentinian last name, but that's that was a stupid kind of thing that stuck out in my mind. But <laughs> yeah. who knows? You know, to me, it kind of starts off like your traditional sort of abduction story. This guy, he's on a road, he's driving his like beat up pick, pickup truck, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden these bright lights, you know, are ahead of him. Mm-hmm. And I mean, just because I love sound design and stuff, whenever mm-hmm. I read that this was all happening, like in a like just visually thinking about this happening with the rain and like it's, mm-hmm. it's dark, it's nighttime. I mean. It's just like the perfect recipe for, you know, something freaky to happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I mean, just right away, this thing, these three figures kind of appear. Mm -hmm. And I loved that he's described what they were wearing as a strange headdress. Yeah. Right. right? Mm -hmm. Because I mean, then I'm like, oh man, is this some sort of like Quetzalcoatl type? Yeah, there you go. You know, like Mm -hmm. really cool looking headdress thing you know that that, that uh, is coming down because i don't know why but just things like stargate and anytime i'm studying any sort of um and i know that's an easy everybody take it easy but anytime <laughs> i'm thinking of like ancient cultures including like in south america like the mayans and mm-hmm. the, uh the aztec well that was in central america but, but i mean but they, yeah, they yeah, had yeah. like the hairdress. that same kind of I mean, thing it's like you have all these like hairdress well like hairdresses (laughs) hairdresses headdresses and all this art that is seemingly inspired by Mm -hmm. something right yeah and so it's a very easy or i I should say it's somewhat easy for me to just be like oh man boom i buy into the ancient alien type theories and stuff like that it's so that's just the first thing that i thought of whenever he, he used the word headdresses instead of like helmet well, I, I did think that as well, but then it said that it had antenna. And yeah. I immediately went to Ant-Man, like classic old <laughs> yeah. school Ant-Man. Yeah. But yeah, so... And like over 12 feet tall? Yeah, that that's pretty interesting. I To me also, I thought the most 
interesting thing. And it kind of carries through the entire sort of, you know, uh, window or event. The idea that like these street lights changing colors later on, he shows up and the candles are turning green mm-hmm. and like, like what's happening with that, you know? Yeah. I mean, so you remember like when he's standing there in front of those beings, mm-hmm. he doesn't really know what to do. Old Douglas pulls out that six gun shooter oh, yeah. and mm-hmm. he points it at these folks, fires off some shots. <laughs> and then, then they beam this like red beam of light that just like burns him. And I think that's why he just like runs off. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just like terrified. You know, he doesn't get back in the truck or anything. Like that. He just runs. Yeah. And then like oh, the light, the light kind of like follows him. And it's doing, there, there's something about these beings have the ability and or technology to mess with or affect electricity mm-hmm, right. because the street lights are changing all weird colors. Mm-hmm. And then, and then also apparently like the, color the candles. Yeah. The, the color spectrum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically th- all this happens. There's a big commotion. He's freaked out. He's running. He shows up at this house Mm-hmm. Where the family inside the house were kind of, it was kind of like a wake, I guess. Mm-hmm. So there was kind of like an open casket, which, you know, Argentina, uh, Argentina, Argentina, 1963, probably a pretty common practice. Yeah. Um, you know, where they have kind of a wake inside the house. I don't even think house. it's open casket. I think, honestly, they, if I remember right, mm-hmm. and it's been a while since I've had like a cultural studies class, but I do remember especially in South America where, you know, they actually like will have the deceased like sitting in their favorite chair. Right. And everybody just kind of comes around and... It's weird. Yeah, it's very... It's weird to us. Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. cultures are very interesting. And so anytime someone else's culture is so different, especially yeah. with regard to like life and death and stuff, it is, uh, boy, that's a... Imagine kind of being like the guy. You meet this girl at college. <laughs> she says she's from Argentina. You're just smitten. Mm-hmm. She wants you to come meet her family. I like where this is. You're going. excited, you know. You've never been to the jungle. Mm-hmm. You get on a plane, you fly down there, and oh, bad news! Uncle Douglas has <laughs> moved. He's passed on. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh man, that's terrible. You don't know. She doesn't think to tell you. You don't know what's about to happen. Yeah. You go into this house, knock, knock, knock. Hey, oh, I'm so glad you're here. Nice to meet you. You walk in. And there's old Douglas. Weekend at Bernie's style. Weekend at Bernie's. Classes. I mean, what do you do, man, other than just like, <laughs> nice to, <laughs> anyway, I got to take this call. Um, Get out the green candles. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I think it is, um, it's interesting that those colors changed. I like the fact that that happened, though, in this guy's defense, because now he's got more than one witness that, Something weird was going on, right? Mm-hmm. And so right. when he goes to the police station later and stuff, and he's got these like visible burns yeah. uh, to his hands and stuff and his body. That just kind of makes for, oh, I mean, like how could a hoaxer mm-hmm. make something like that up or make the color of uh, the candles change yeah. you know, right when he gets into the room? You but, know? It's, but it's bizarre that it happened to the streetlights and the candles, which, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. That's, that's why I said, you know, they were able to sort of, manipulate like maybe like the color spectrum so maybe mm-hmm. it wasn't really like an electrical thing when this when the street lights changed because also the candles and obviously they're not electrical so right. maybe it was this sort of weird kind of i don't know some kind of like 
uh, like perception kind of thing that they were kind of altering or manipulating. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, that, that makes the most sense, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. One thing, too, that, you know, since we've been kind of into this and reading a lot of these stories, like the Stanford abduction, and there were several in, like, you know, from the 40s to the 60s where, and again, I cannot think of this particular case. I'll have to look it up, but it's a lot like the Stanford abduction where uh, I, I believe it was like two ladies were in a car, their grandson was in the back seat or whatever. Same kind of thing. They see this huge light up ahead. It's above them, and as soon as they kind of, uh, as the craft goes over, uh, you know, over top of the car, mm-hmm. the one of the details is like the dash starts to like melt, oh, and like, yeah. and they all end up, I think, with some sort of like cancer. I mean, it's a re- it's a really tragic story. Yeah. Um, you know, the Stanford abduction is kind of the same thing, and so what I'm thinking, what I've kind of started putting together is like my theory on a lot of this stuff is, okay. you know, and again, it's it's what's considered like the nuts and bolts cases of ufology is I think there's something in uh, with, with this sort of like toxic. Hold on real quick. Nuts and bolts meaning actual physical craft. Yeah. Sort of like a physical craft. Like we're not talking about uh, most of the time Woody and I are always going to lean into like interdimensional or hyper dimensionals. Thanks. uh, uh, Jacques Vallée. But Mm -hmm. you know, there's this sort of window of, uh, you know, from the 40s to the 60s, where they they would see these nuts and bolts crafts and a craft. And you think of Roswell, the crash at Roswell, New Mexico, which we're working up to. Maybe that'll be issue. I mean, episode 100, because that's a that's kind of a, a milestone story. But you know, it's like they would see an actual craft. Some some of the details they would see actual like rivets in the UFO itself. They would see. Mm-hmm you know, lights kind of going around the craft and, and that kind of thing. So with that, whatever those things are, whatever's happening there, I think, you know, it, and when people would get close enough to these things, there would always be like some sort of toxic kind of thing. Mm-hmm. There would be a like lot of times. Fumes. Yeah, fumes, it, yeah. a pungent smell, which is on this, mm-hmm. in this case. Mm-hmm. Radiation burns, you know, worst case scenario, like, you know, cancers later on. Right. Um, I think there's something in the propulsion, like mm. whatever it is, whether it's like a radiation type thing, whether it's like sort of atomic or nuclear. Right. I think that there's something in that 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 doesn't agree with you know our physiology. Right, man. I mean, here's the thing too. Like, you know, earlier in the show, I talked about how the whether or not it's you know whether or not these UFOs that it, are being seen and confirmed to be have been seen mm-hmm. by us and and when I say us I mean like you know humans, humans. on earth right now yeah um and I talked a little bit about how I don't know what's more scary this being just like some government whether it's ours or another government <clears throat> that has the technology to be able to like do all these crazy things and then why are they doing it or yeah. it being aliens right here's the thing that leads me to believe that well here's what makes it hard to believe oh, it's humans okay because these kind of sightings these kinds of experiences and abductions or almost abductions mm-hmm. that we talked about today have been and like documented occurrences like this yeah for centuries man yeah forever and the the thing that's very interesting about Jacques Vallée's book Again, it's called Passport Magonia. 
I highly recommend it. And and when did that come out? Dude, 1968, bro. 68, yeah. And the whole like back half of the book is almost like a bullet pointed mm-hmm. um, sort of like brief descriptions and time, date, and place of UFO phenomenon. Yeah. Since, uh, if, and if you like this episode, sorry to cut you off, but uh, right. I haven't done that in a while. I know, well. <laughs> if you if you like this kind of thing, then you would you'll you will absolutely love this book. Oh yeah. It's just it's well, like even, this. Even if you don't like this kind of thing, the the brilliant thing about this book is that <clears throat> he approaches it in not a I'm gonna prove something right. right or wrong. Very unbiased. He he approaches it as here are the documented things that have happened. Mm-hmm. Here's how they influence our culture across the globe for mm-hmm. centuries. And it's everything from like celestial beings, even in like how they're described in biblical texts mm-hmm. and all religious texts. And, you know, he has this like catalog from like 1868 to 1968. So a full 100 years of these things happening, right? And the only reason it stops at 1968 is because that's when he wrote the book. right? And so just imagine all the things that have happened since. So when I think, oh, well, this is just human tech. Well, then how does that explain, you know, the farmer in 1868 who sees a craft come pick up one of his cows, yep. fly off with it, mm-hmm. and then he finds it like 10 miles uh, away from his farm the next day when he goes looking for it, and it's all oh, like thought, singed and burnt and all I weird. I thought you were getting into the pancake one. Sorry. No, 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 no. It's, it's wild, right? Yeah. yeah. And so the only way to me that it could be human technology, Marty McFly, get ready, mm-hmm. is if it's some sort of either time travel situation yeah, or... Multi-dimensional, multi-dimensional travel. <laughs> That's so drunk. <laughs> multi-dimensional travel, mm-hmm. interdimensional travel. I guess. Yeah. I mean, that's it. And and who's to say? Hey, you don't need a physical craft to do that, right? So, mm-hmm. man, all in all, extremely fascinating. Yeah, it really is. One thing also that that I'm I've been trying to get you into is that book, American Cosmic. Mm-hmm. Uh, by Diana Walsh Pasolka. She is actually, I think, really close with with uh, with Jacques Vallée. Oh, so I think he's kind of somewhat involved in all that kind of, you know, which is cool because knowing that he such a, a a life of a colorful life of like, you know, all this kind of research tying it all the way up to you know now the sort of modern age of mm-hmm. of uh, you know this kind of thing. It's it's really cool. I mean, the fact is. Every single culture, mm-hmm. every single culture on the planet yep. has experiences like this in like interwoven into mm-hmm. their zeitgeist. Yep. 100%. Every single culture. Mm-hmm. And if you strip it away and, and it's like, even if you take all of the sort of extra planetary stuff away from it, right? And you get back to like, even like, you like people will say, well, like, well, I don't know about that, man. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a Christian. I, I don't. I've never heard of anything like that. Well, take take away aliens and stuff like that, but you, you you still have celestial beings. You still have somebody not of Earth, right? Oh, yeah. coming down in beams of light and like angels and all kinds of other stuff. So that's included in all this. When I say every single culture has aspects of interactions with other beings that are not just straight up human. Well, dude, there, I mean, there's literally 
a class of angels, which, I mean, a lot of, you know, a lot of Christians don't even realize this, but it's called the Ophanim. And they're literally these things that they're just these wheels within wheels that are just oh, kind of, yes, like yes. a gyrosphere. And then they mm-hmm. have wings like on the yep. outside. Yep. So it's like, if you saw that, you wouldn't immediately think of like, oh, that's like an angel, which, you know, thanks to the Renaissance painters or mm-hmm. these little chubby babies with wings. But actual angels are like pretty terrifying as far mm-hmm. as, you know, the, the actual sort of descriptions, especially like the Ophanum, like I was saying, because in my mind, you know, and Ezekiel's visions where it's like a wheel, I saw mm-hmm. wheels within wheels. And like, I mean, to me, that that sounds like a UFO. Yeah, right, right. So again, man, we, we like... Oh, I can't wait. We're going to do, we got to dive in deeper. Mm-hmm. We're going to yeah. find some more of these kind of abduction stories. But also, I really want to start getting into some of the stuff that Jacques Vallée goes into about fairy folk. Yeah. And um, that's kind of our go to. All of the other things. Like, I mean, just there's so much yeah. that I really want our listeners to like hear more about because it's just, it's so cool and it's mm-hmm. so interesting how closely tied all of this stuff is and just really really makes you think like hmm, man that's very interesting yeah it's like what's really going on out there mm-hmm. i don't know that we'll yeah. ever know but yeah you know well, it's it's fun to speculate and to look yeah, into it for sure man well cool dude well i think that about wraps it up with these uh three stories give them their marching orders <laughs> yeah so look we say it week after week thank you so much for taking the time to listen to our show, it means the absolute world to us. And mm-hmm. we're so excited every single week. Not only do we feel like we're talking to you know one another, obviously, yeah. but we also feel like we're talking to you. So when you're listening to this right now, I feel like I'm talking to you wherever it is that you're at, in your office, mm-hmm. uh, you know, on your run or in your car, whatever it is, I feel like I get a chance to hang out with you and talk to you. And it's just an awesome, awesome thing. So... Mm-hmm. Tyler, where is the best place that people can interact with us on a, on a daily basis? Well, we hate all internet except Instagram. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you'll find the bulk of our activity over there. Uh, we love like the back and forth. Probably my favorite part of every week is Monday morning when our the bad boy of the That Would Be Rad podcast, Clay, basically gives like a play-by-play of like where he's at in the episode you know, in the comment section, which is, it's just so cool and like humbling and, you know, all that stuff. But um, yeah, like what he said, we're just, we're super thankful for you guys. And uh, we really appreciate everything you do. We appreciate the back and forth. Just building building this like little community is just awesome. So also, uh, we've said it on the last few episodes and just keep on keeping on telling at least one friend about the show. With that, you know, we love you. We appreciate you, and as always, be rad. That's the way
clouds in a time where I just needed some sunshine. You were already dead before you became a ghost. You always said our future would be a parade of flowers, but now all that's left is a single rose. That's the way it goes.